from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Father Philip Bochanski, a priest for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. In 2017, Father Bochanski was appointed Executive Director of Courage International in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is an apostolate that provides pastoral care to men and women who experience same-sex attractions and have chosen to live a chaste life. He's also an award-winning author and recently released his new book, Wisdom of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, Ancient Advice for the Modern World. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the Bishop's Mind. Good morning, Kelly. Kind of buoyed up by our celebration of Divine Mercy Sunday and the 24 Hours of Grace. And hopefully that'll continue to flow out like rivulets uh, Mm -hmm. to our parishes and people and throughout the world. And Mm -hmm. uh, again, we continue to look for the date when we can uh, come together again. It's, uh, you know, usually with Easter, you, you expect this great you know, tra- tra- you know, trajectory upward of all these marvelous feasts and significant mm-hmm. sacramental moments, First Holy Communions, Confirmations, those who have yet to be initiated into mm-hmm. the church, on the, what normally happens on the Easter Vigil. And right. so I've delegated the faculty to confirm to our parish pastors, or if they delegate it to their uh, parochial vicars. So I've given that until uh, September 14th, the Triumph of the Cross this year. So I know a lot of parishes kind of on hold with what mm-hmm. that's going to happen. And likewise with First Communions, that uh, you know, we're still not able to gather in groups larger than 10. So I don't know that we'll do a lot of individual, you know, unlike our, our couple that got married, Andy and Bailey, right. you know, I don't think we'll be doing so many First Communions, mm-hmm. although I can remember my uh, brother David and myself. I think that's how we did it way back when and, and at a time. But uh, so... Uh, very much praying for them. I'm uh, aware the show airs on Friday, April 24th, kind of a personal date of significance for me, the day I was ordained to the transitional diaconate. Mm -hmm. And uh, not so much to shine a light on me, but at that time uh, I asked uh, Deacon John McCulley of St. Cecilia's in Ames if he would vest me with a dalmatic for a diaconate. And Mm -hmm. so Deacon John's been a a faithful servant of the Lord, he and his wife Ruth for so many years. But Deacon John is uh, terminally ill with cancer and uh, kind of poignantly shared these words with some of the community uh, in recent weeks. I've had the opportunity to, to kind of have that, that meaningful phone call, and we're conscious of so many who would long to have meaningful contact with loved ones in light mm-hmm. of COVID-19 and all that's there. And so uh, he, he wanted just to, to thank everybody. Diagnosed with cancer in August of 2019, my oncologist told me it was inoperable, and the immunotherapy gave him pancreatitis, so there was really no treatment options for him, and looking at maybe a six-month period with hospice and care that was there. So he had this appointment with his oncologist, and he wasn't sure how he was feeling, and even asked himself, is this real to me? And then felt nauseated for about 30 seconds, and they kind of had to chuckle as I said to himself, well, my body answered me. (laughs) Then he looked up and spontaneously said, Lord Jesus, I'm coming home soon, and felt totally at peace. And so gradually the next days, there was even a kind of excitement that he witnesses to, from time to time, almost feeling guilty that as I think of the pain my death will cause my dear heart, his wife Ruth, and others he loves. So he kind of alternates between peacefulness and sadness, but that predominant feeling continues to be peacefulness. Mm-hmm. And so what a grace, you know, the grace of the resurrection for yes. him as Jesus mm-hmm. speaks words of peace to us mm-hmm. and uh, how much we want to cling to that uh, during these sacred days, even as we continue to fast in so many ways. We know uh, our 
neighbors, our fellow parishioners, there are many people who are hurting, uh, again, continuing those who might find the means, maybe that uh, government check, that $1,200 that some uh, people of certain income levels might have received, and they're like, well, this is a bonus, but I, I don't have the need, the acute need that maybe some others might. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might consider some portion of that to support our Diocese of Des Moines COVID-19 Relief Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fund is available on the website under the coronavirus link. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, that will support individuals who maybe fall through the cracks of our social service system or other options that the government has provided. And uh, again, not direct handing out of cash, but channeling it to those uh, concrete needs, utilities, other things that might be there, uh, you know, helping families in that way. So we're grateful for Catholic Charities, who's kind of coordinating that. Mm-hmm. And uh, also will help some parishes that aren't as uh, in a solid situation as others might be. We're really grateful to our teachers who continue to carry the carry the light for us and our distance learning for our young people. So God bless you, teachers. All right, we're going to take a quick break. and we return, we'll welcome, welcome Father Philip Bachansky. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Phil, our Father Philip Bachansky, a priest for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. In 2017, Father Bachansky was appointed Executive Director of Courage International, an apostolate that provides pastoral care to men and women who experience same-sex attractions and have chosen to live a chaste life. He's also an award-winning author and recently released his newest book, Wisdom of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, Ancient Advice for the Modern World. So, Father Philip, uh, Father Pachansky, it's great to have you with us this morning. Thanks for taking the time to, to do this. And uh, Oh, it's my pleasure. I yeah, appreciate the invitation. Yeah, a Philly priest, but uh, now kind of your life has kind of led you in different directions, uh, varied ministries and things, and kind of the unfolding role with courage. Can you just speak a little bit how that evolved for you? Sure. Well, uh, I used to say it was a coincidence, but now I've learned to say that it's divine providence. But uh, is, it was not a job that I, I ever went looking for. I mean, I knew uh, Father John Harvey, who founded our apostolate, came to uh, St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia when I was a student. So I knew that the apostolate existed, but didn't think I'd be involved. And then in uh, mid-2009, uh, the Courage Group in Philadelphia lost their chaplain, he was a religious priest who was assigned uh, to a different house, but not replaced by anybody. And one of the uh, members of the the local group was a parishioner of mine. I lived a couple parishes over from where they used to meet. Uh, so he asked if I could get involved, and I did. Kind of tentatively at first, I wasn't quite sure what they needed from me, and you know if I'd be able to help. And 
uh, really, the more I got and got to know the, the members of our chapter there in Philadelphia, the, the more I just really got to love the work and, and to love the, the, the members. And um, uh, I did that for five years as, as our, our local chaplain uh, in my home diocese. And then in uh, 2014, uh, Father Paul Cech, uh, who was the director at the time, um, he was traveling so much uh, to give talks in various places that uh, he really needed some help in the administrative office. And so he asked if I would be willing to, to come on as uh, as his assistant director. And so I worked alongside him for, for two years. And then, uh, as you heard, I, I took over from him in, in 2017. So it's not an apostle that I ever went looking for, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's really, it's transformed my priesthood in, in many ways. Wow, that's beautiful. So God kind of activated your heart, and Archbishop Chapu was willing to support this, uh, obviously. And, um, the dedi- first, the first words out of his mouth were when I told him about it, he said, I would never stand in the way of something like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, yeah, he was, he's been supportive uh, from the very beginning, and uh, our new Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Perez, is, is very supportive as well. Oh, that's tremendous. And so you're not worrying if you're going to yank back to Philly anytime soon then in that way. No. So, okay. Which, of course, the Lord calls as he wills. And, you know, I, I'm trying to get this sense as I, my first round of priest personnel assignments. <laughs> you know, my, my, my voice and the gods are not always one and the same, but, but hopefully the okay. Spirit is poking through in that way too as well. So courage chapters are, are not always parish-centric. They might be more regional or, you know, in metro areas. Typically— you know, typically a, a chapter is organized in a, by the diocese rather than in a particular parish, because um, you're not going to get uh, a very large group in any particular parish uh, standing by itself. And then, uh, but also because it, it gives us a little, uh, gives us a way to protect people's uh, privacy. Not everybody is very public about uh, their experience of same-sex attraction, and so they they might be a, a bit hesitant to go to a group in their own parish with their friends, and neighbors around. Uh, but um, you know, we 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 uh, we protect their their privacy. If people want to remain anonymous, that's up to them. Uh, and uh, so the the diocesan bishop appoints a a chaplain for the diocese, and then you know, depending on who the me- who the members are, they decide where where's the most convenient place to meet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would maybe even be not in a church setting, or I mean, usually that's uh, free real estate, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, it depends. Some of our chapters meet in, uh, you know, they, the the seminary, local seminaries, given them a room to meet, or uh, you know, a parish or a retreat house. It depends on on the local diocese. Okay, so but you know, perhaps as we think back a generation until now, these days coming out is much less of a big deal in our society than it was. Have you seen any kind of a change or evolution in the sorts of challenges faced by Catholics who may identify with the LGBTQIA plus community, if if that's a label that, that you would use? And obviously we don't want to toss around labels, but, you know, persons are persons. But uh, sure. what have you seen as you've been involved with this ministry? Well, yeah, it's, it's actually uh, two generations now that, that Courage has been uh, around. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary oh, this September. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's definitely, culturally speaking, a, a much different landscape than it was in 1980, uh, you know, both in, in the culture and in the church. Um, you know, I, you mentioned labels, and, and you know, I, I typically would refer to uh, a person, uh, you know, in, in this situation, not by a label like gay or LGBT, uh, but as a person who experiences same-sex attractions, right? And so uh, that, that puts the person first and acknowledges that this is not 
something that that defines a person or makes somebody a different kind of person, but it's an experience that a person has. And, you know, as Pope Francis says, we accompany people starting from their situation and accompany them with mercy, taking their experience seriously and helping them to understand their identity as, as sons and daughters of God. So I think one of the big uh, challenges that people face today is this whole question of identity that the culture certainly wants to divide people into neat little categories based on their sexual orientation or their experience of their sexual identity or things like that. And, and you know, we have to really help people to, uh, to appreciate the fact that they're all, for every single human being, our identity is centered in the fact that we're created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by Christ, that we're blessed with a vocation and the grace to carry it out. But that's, that's really what makes us who we are. Um, it's bad enough when the culture uh, gets that question a little blurry uh, or, mm-hmm. or wants to use labels and put people into categories. Uh, one of the problems I think that we're facing today is that even in the church, um, some people who really uh, should know better in terms of speaking on behalf of the church uh, tend to use these labels without a lot of definition or um, you know, to make suggestions like, well, it's all the same thing and love is love and uh, you know, maybe we should... Uh, take a different tack than than what the church tells us is necessary from from a moral point of view. So uh, even you know, those members, who are seeing themselves as kind of advocates for persons with various attractions, is that right? I mean, that right. Kind of, I mean, there yeah. was there was a bishop in Germany uh, who said just the other day, "Well, you know, if people are uh, have decided that this is how they want to live, why can't we bless?" them in their relationship and in their situation. And, um, you know, that when when bishops and priests uh, are unclear about, you know, what the church teaches on the subject, then uh, it really is a pain uh, and, and a burden for, for our members and others who are, who are making great sacrifices to live chastely and to, to understand what the, where the, the gospel message is coming from, what the church is teaching. Uh, and then they, they ask me, well, if Father so-and-so or Bishop so-and-so, you know, isn't going to stick up for this, why am I putting myself through all this? Is it really worth it? So mm-hmm. uh, it's a painful moment in the church, I think, in terms of not everybody being on the same page. Uh, and and, and parent, parents and family members, and they're like, we just want to love our family member and, and you know, unconditionally. Yeah. And then the mixed messages that are there don't, don't uh, really provide support for them either, is it? Uh, Something you've found or encountered? Oh, to be sure. You know, around uh, 1992, we started another part of our apostolate called Encourage, which is precisely for parents and spouses and siblings and other loved ones uh, who are trying to uh, figure out how do I keep the faith and keep my family strong and intact? You know, how do I love my son or daughter when I have to say, I love you? And I think in this in this regard, you're making a bad decision, and I can't support uh, you know the, the way that you're living or or the partner that you have in your life. Um, and so we have regular meetings with them as well to just talk about how to uh, you know how to just um, listen to their children on trying to understand where they're coming from, what they're experiencing, and then gently uh, by example help them to understand. You know, how their parents are trying to live, what, what what's important to them, and and hopefully uh, to to hear the church's teaching in a new light. Oh, uh, beautiful! Uh, and so the great spiritual resources that the church offers in its longstanding tradition, and you are continuing to be a spiritual director one on one, not only within Courage but beyond that in, in that way. So your your new book, can you tell us about this and how that might uh, amplify some things that are at the heart of your ministry? 
Sure. Well, uh, so the book, as you mentioned, is called Wisdom of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, Ancient Advice for the Modern World. It's published by Tan Books. It's actually, I think the release date is next week on April 23rd. Uh, and it's, um, uh, it's something that's a topic that's fascinated me since the, since my days in the seminary when we were first uh, introduced to the Desert Fathers. These were monks who lived in the deserts of Egypt and Syria and uh, the region of the Holy Land between like the 4th century and the 7th century. Um, many of them lived as solitaries for at least part of their life, and uh, but then it's also kind of the origins of, of what we know today as monastic life. And um, it was seen as a way to uh, just be serious about holiness uh, after the days of martyrdom had passed in persecution. Uh, you know, people who were asking, well, how do I make a a serious, a more serious, more heroic commitment to the Lord, uh, left the city and went out into the wilderness. And so uh, their writings are very accessible because they just kind of uh, come down to us in a collection of sayings rather than long treatises most of the time. Uh, they're very personal. Um, there are some interesting personalities among among the fathers and mothers of the desert as well. So it makes it uh, enjoyable to read and uh, and just to kind of take uh, a little word, a uh, sentence, a paragraph, and, and to meditate on it uh, is, is a very, uh, you're just kind of helpful um, discipline for, for growing in, in holiness. So uh, they're talking about all the th- same things that we're still talking about today. You know, the spiritual life doesn't change all that much over time. Um, and uh, the idea for them was to, uh, you know, to to really keep things in proper perspective, to prioritize so that we get back to uh, that image of God that we're created in. Um, so always it's, a, it's about returning to our identity by detaching from attitudes and opinions of the world. So I think today in, in, in the situation where everybody's under stay-at-home orders and quarantined, uh, whether, we, whether we chose it or not, we're, we're all kind of living a bit of uh, the desert life and uh, maybe have the same opportunity uh, to reconsider our priorities, to understand what's essential and, and get back to uh, living out our 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 vocation and the fact that we're created in in God's image and likeness. Um, so the fact that, uh, you know, you, you draw from both desert fathers and mothers and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is this something that it was kind of a startlingly countercultural that the, that mothers and women would have a, a role and a prominence seen as wisdom figures and that they would have a voice that maybe in the societies of their time was not always uh, respected or relegated kind of to other parts uh, within the society? Is that is that something that's yeah, kind of ahead of the head of the curve on that? From my understanding, almost immediately uh, when monasteries started to be established for men. Uh, monasteries for women came up as well. One of the, the great founders is St. Pacomius, and it was his sister who started uh, the first monastery for women in the desert. So there were lots of women in the desert. There aren't a lot of writings that come down to us from them. I think in the, the biggest collection, there are 140 desert fathers and mothers, but uh, only three of them are women. Um, but with the one I have two chapters in my book about uh, St. Syncletica, Syncletica. Uh, Syncletica. <laughs> the word comes from the word for the Senate. Her father or her grandfather is probably a senator. And uh, she's fascinating to me. She's just extremely practical, very down to earth, very patient, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, you've got to get into the spiritual life slowly and persevere step by step. Um, so, yeah, she, uh, there's, there's a, a pretty extensive life of her that includes a lot of her teachings. And uh, when I found that, it was 
one of those moments like, where have you been all my life? I never knew that this person, <laughs> never, never knew that this person existed, but she just, yeah, she's really, she's really quite an impressive. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, doing 23 and me or something, you know, you discover you've got this long lost relative you never knew. <laughs> right? You've got right. this spiritual sister who's going yeah. back 20 centuries or no, about 15 centuries or so. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so. and some of the images that she uses are just, you know, she's, uh, she talks about when, when the, the, the women would go to the desert, one of the ceremonies of their, uh, entering into the monastery was that they had their, they had their hair shaved off. And she said, now this is important because, you know, you've got, when you've got all that hair, you think it's clean, but then when you shave your head, you see where all the little creepy crawly things are under, <laughs> on, on your scalp. So that's why we come out to the desert to put all the distractions <laughs> away and to get really serious about the little stuff that we would have overlooked otherwise. So. <laughs> Thank you for that image. Our <laughs> listeners are, you know, like, you know, as as no one can get their hair cut or styled <laughs> these days, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. is your hair moving? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> so, oh, marvelous. So you kind of alluded that, you know, we're, you know, living a very kind of hidden life for the most part, whether we were with families or not. Any particular themes that you would accent for us to kind of ponder or ways in which we can grow in this? We've got about a minute left here this morning, Father. One of the one of the things that always comes up in the desert is no one was allowed to live by themselves until they lived successfully with others, and mm-hmm. so really I think in these days where we're at home but maybe spending a lot more time with family members than we used to, um, uh, you know we see we ought to see that as an opportunity to really grow in patience and mutual love, um, you know while we're all kind of in this together. You know it's uh, no surprise your family pushes your buttons because they installed most of them. Um, <laughs> I love it. You know, ultimately, <laughs> that's going to make us think. Yeah. I think about some of our seminarians who were asked to come at the undergraduate level, come back and live with their families, you know, and, it, you know, there's not regression to adolescence in that way. But, right. uh, yeah, no. Well, may God continue to anoint your ministry, and uh, I look forward to you've You've awakened my interest in the St. Cletica, or you know, maybe, maybe I have, I, maybe I canonized it before the church has. But thank you very much, Father Pachansky. Thank you, Bishop. It's a pleasure. Be safe. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. The number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessed International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessed International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessedMintInternational.org. That's BlessedMintInternational.org. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. Well, great interview. It was. Father Bachansky is doing such valuable work. And uh, 
the hope that maybe we can bring him to Des Moines sometime when mm-hmm. life returns to some semblance of normal and uh, maybe talk about courage and encourage and see if maybe we can have a footprint here in Des Moines and serving mm-hmm. uh, people of our parishes as well. So very good. Well, we continue to kind of figure out how, how to do things, uh, you know, on this uh, not fixed, you know, stay in place thing. But, you know, I went to this restaurant and, and it was really fascinating. You know, not too many restaurants are open this day. This one's called The Kitchen. You have to gather all the ingredients and make your own meal. I mean, this is really a, a novel place. I don't know how this place stayed in business or not. <laughs> No one, no, no one would want to eat my cooking. <laughs> it's it's service serviceable only, you know. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 my cooking tastes better when I have my face mask on. <laughs> you know, and then you know, of course, we're all worrying about. I mean, reference with Father Bachansky you know, our haircuts and things, you know. I, I don't think I've had hair this long since the 70s, you know. Well, you don't look like that picture from high school just yet. No, so. no, yeah, those days will be long gone, you know. But my goal is to make, let it grow as long as Jimmy Olsen, our engineer here in the Iowa Catholic Radio, you know. But, you know, I don't, you know, ponytail, man bun, I don't know if I want to really go there or not. But anyway, so, so, so all right, so you, you don't like my humor, so Kelly, then you better take it away. I'm laughing. Am I not? <laughs> I, it always has that nervous kind of tint <laughs> to it when you laugh. Like, what's Johnson going to say next? <laughs> All right. What, come on, Kelly. Kelly, <laughs> the clock is ticking. Let's go. <laughs> Breathe. Come on. All right. I'll put my face mask back on. <laughs> and now we've got a moment of silence where Kelly would have been talking. <laughs> Okay, here we go. So Dan Burke was a guest on your show. I remember well. That earlier was really, this that was year. a really good show, yeah. Yeah, he was the author of Discernment of Spirits. Uh, so it was a really good interview that you did. And um, he actually had COVID-19 earlier this spring. So um, my, my. he had been traveling in March and he was sick. He was in ICU. His family sent out prayers on social media. Uh, apparently he's had a lifelong lung condition. Um, so he had even told his wife in advance, if I ever get COVID-19, I'm a goner. Um, but he, uh, he said he was on EWTN and he said, I'm alive because of your prayers. Um, he said, in fact, I just don't believe it. I know it. There's no way I should have come out of that ICU. So thank you. And, um, so yeah, his faith was obviously very strong before, but even stronger now. He said in the midst of this darkness, I had a real sense that this was good Friday. This was our Calvary. This was Golgotha. The heaviness and the darkness was so profound. Um, but he, um, you know, did he, did he feel like it was oppression by evil spirits? Does he make reference to that? He doesn't or? say that. Um, you know, I just take it as I, the darkness I think was when he was, um, you know, when he was in the intensive care and he was out for a couple of days and they had to induce a coma, I would imagine yes, like they yes, are for exactly. people in ventilators. So that, I, that's yeah. the impression I got. He said, um, he was ready to die and at peace with that. Um, but then he said, I was thinking about all of you and preparing to make my suffering count by joining it with the suffering of Christ and offering up for all the prayer requests, the apostolate VA and the suffering of the world. Um, but he was put on a ventilator for three days. He said that this experience was one of the darkest moments of my life. He said, I didn't have despair. I also didn't have an interior sense of any comfort in any way, but I wasn't anxious. No comfort, only blackness. Hmm. We later later thank the medical staff and every person who helped him. He said, I'm grateful that I have studied and lived this reality so deeply before facing this kind of storm. 
Right, and and that may be one of the graces for each of us as we have mm-hmm. the kind of opportunity to ponder the ultimate things. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the late Monsignor Leon Connolly who said, "I'm not afraid to die, but I'm afraid of dying." Mm-hmm. And I think that that thing, and you know, and so you know, the the nature of this virus that you know affects multiple organs, but our great capacity to breathe. You mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. we think of Jesus and his asphyxiation on the cross. So, so. God's mystery, but again, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so mm-hmm. that, that consciousness that he is the author of life and has dominion over life, and so our trust is in him. That's right. Uh, this has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners in Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin on Iowa Catholic Radio and Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.